The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Rev. Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Good morning, Genesis 50. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21 is our passage this morning that we're going to be looking at in this uh, Sermons of Series, where we see these great reversals. And here is a, a classic one in the life of Joseph, uh, surely one of the most sterling characters in all the Old Testament. Uh, you could put anybody up against him, and he would still come out looking good. Genesis 50, uh, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious God and our Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would give us eyes of faith and that you would help us to see those things that you have in store for us, those things that would instill a great confidence in you and your wisdom and your goodness and provision and protection of your people. And help us again, O Father, to see Christ exalted in our midst and our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a time last year uh, when my son, because of some military training, was separated from his wife uh, and who's the, his wife was staying with her for her in-laws, and, um, and she was very much with child. And one particular Sunday, towards the end of her carrying this child, after church, a lady came up to her mom and said, would you like these towels? And gave her a whole stack of towels. It's one of these random things that only church people understand. Would you like this casserole? You know, what is it actually? And, uh, but gave her these towels and said, okay. And she took the towels and put them in the, in the trunk of her car. Later on that night, um, my daughter-in-law knocked on her door and said, Mom, it's time. We need to go to the hospital. The problem is that they were 20 miles outside of town. And as they got closer to the city where the hospital was, she said, we're not going to make it. We need to pull over. And her mom said, we can make it. We can make it. She says, no, we're not going to make it. Pull over. And so a little bit after midnight, she did. She pulled over into a parking lot, got on the phone with 911, said, walk me through this. How do I deliver this child? 
And she did, delivered uh, my grandson, Nate, in the back seat of a Toyota Corolla in a parking lot. But when the child came, she just realized how cold it was outside. Ambulance was not there. Here is this naked, wet baby to be delivered into the cold. What am I going to do with this child? And then she remembered the towels in the trunk of the car. God's kind provision to wrap up this child and save it from hypothermia, or worse. In God's providence, there's many times there are these little details that don't make sense to us or that we don't understand what's the purpose of this. And sometimes we never do. Most of the time we don't. But a lot of times that little detail is necessary, is vital for his good purposes in our lives. And we see that in the life of Joseph. When Joseph was a young man, you could truly do a a brief biography of his life and, and suggest that the theme is this, how everything went wrong. How everything went wrong. He grew up knowing only the envy of his brothers. His brothers hated him. They hated him because he was clearly their father's favorite child of his favorite wife. And if anybody didn't understand that, he gave him a special robe to sort of publicize it. They hated him. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. It even got to the point once where they uh, schemed against him and even desired to kill him, if not for their son Reuben, or for his brother Reuben, who dissuaded them from that. But they eventually sold him, as you know, to a caravan that made its way to Egypt. So here is this young man who's done nothing wrong, but he's been completely disowned by his family, separated far away from his homeland, from the father who does love him, He's alone in Egypt. But things look better. Uh, He finds himself in Potiphar's household, and Joseph right away proves himself to be a faithful servant. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife proves to be an an unfaithful wife and continues to proposition him, make her advances, but he continuously resists these things, and eventually she's frustrated by his rejection, falsely accuses Joseph, and he lands in prison again. Everything is going wrong. We don't know how long he was there, some time, until he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's cupbearer and and his baker. And then uh, Pharaoh exalts Joseph to this highest place in Egypt. And we are tempted to think, woe to his enemies now if they ever come and are at his feet. And that's exactly what happens, right? His brothers end up at his feet. They come and they bow before him. And think of all the things that Joseph could say could rightly, justly say to his brothers as he reflects upon the misery and the suffering that he has endured. And here's the reason why. They're right here, cringing before him. And he remembers his dreams. This is the moment. What could he say? But what does he say? According to Joseph, everything went just right. What he says is remarkable in verse 50. As for you... As for your side of things, yes, you meant it all for for evil, but God meant it for good. And I think it's significant here, too, to understand that Joseph is not mincing words. He does not sort of gloss over what has happened for the sake of saying something spiritual. He says, as for you, you meant evil. What they did was evil. It was worse than evil. This was treachery. This is their own family, their own brother, and they, and they betrayed him and sold him. But he goes even deeper than that. He says, you meant evil. He's going right after their motives. Things did not turn out nearly as bad as they intended in the first place. 
lethal motives, malicious intent. He sees it for what it is. On the one hand, this is what has happened. I think pastorally, when something terrible happens to somebody, immediately we want to spring to, yes, but look what God's going to do with it. No, we need to stop there and not invalidate the suffering of that person. And there's no way that Joseph is understating what he has endured. But on the other hand, Joseph sees with eyes of faith and he sees God's hand stirring in the depths of the events of his life and his brother's lives. He sees God's higher purposes at work and he sees how his brother's evil plans had been consecrated by God and his good plan. That what they did was vital, it was necessary because it was part of God's wider agenda and what he wanted to do for Joseph's family and even for others. And it's remarkable, too, that in Genesis 45, how how Joseph keeps underlining, like a refrain, God's providence. So in chapter 45, verse 5, he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, insinuating, but God who sent me. All this to save lives, to save many, many lives from the famine, but also to preserve a remnant of God's people. You see what he's saying here is that what God did is he gathered up in his arms all these events, all these circumstances in his life, in the lives of his family, and brought them together for good. God took the suffering of one man in order that he might rescue the lives of so many people, deliver many, many people. His brothers did intend evil. They brought tremendous harm and suffering upon their innocent brother. But what does God do? He gathers up all of that injustice and that, that evil and that, and that slavery, and he shapes it for good. On the one hand, brothers, uh, the brothers of Joseph sold him for silver. But God would make Joseph a ransom for his family. Joseph was as good as dead. But God delivered him out of the pit two times in order to save lives. His brothers betrayed their own family, but it was so that Joseph could save God's covenant family. And Joseph's faith is not just like this theoretical thing. It's not just this wide vision. It it, it comes down into the very practical things of life. The, The love and the compassion he shows towards his brothers is incredible. Because it says here that after their father dies, his brothers think, oh, this is now the time when the hammer is going to fall. And they come to him, and they bow before him, asking for forgiveness. But what do we read in the text? Joseph says this, do not be afraid. I'm going to take care of you, as I have said. I'm going to care for your little ones. And it says that he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. And the evidence of that pity is seen in his tears. It says here that Joseph is weeping. Why is he weeping? He's weeping, I think the best guess is, is that they still don't believe me, that I will care for them, that I've forgiven them, and that I love them. You see, his faith sees how everything is for good. And I think that's what leads B.B. Warfield to say that what we have here in Joseph's life is a flesh and blood parable of Romans 8.28. And Romans 8.28 teaches us that, and we know that for those who love God, that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. That God takes everything in our lives and he's using it 
for our good and for his, his glory. And it's true, we do experience difficulties and suffering, and there's no reason to, to put spin on that or to gloss over that. We suffer real tragedies and real difficulties in life. But if this promise is true, it's saying that God shapes these things and he uses them for a greater end. We have people around us who want to hurt us. And we suffer malicious things from them, injustice. But God says that for his children, these are tremendous opportunities for us to shine for Christ and to be a witness to the world of what real love is and for good to overcome evil. The devil tempts us. Why? So that we would fall. But God takes advantages of those failures so that we will cling to Christ more and more and more so that the next time we will not fall. We suffer bodily pain, emotional pain. But these are God's ingredients to build a stronger faith and to build a deeper character. Adversity sometimes pushes us to the very, very limits. But through all of that adversity, God is teaching us about our weakness and our desperate need of his grace and to look to him every day for that fountain of goodness. And I think it's important to see as well in Romans 8.28, it does not say that some things work together for good. Or a majority of things work together for good. That's not what it says. It says all things, all things work together for good. It is fair to say that nothing merely happens to us. There's nothing random in your life or my life. Nothing takes place in your life without God accomplishing something wise, something important, something good out of it. We're not exempt from life's hardships. We are exempt from pointless hardships. That's what Romans 8 is teaching us, that God is like a maestro. He's leading this, this large orchestra. And what he does, he takes all these pieces, all these events, he puts them in the, in the right order, in the right place, at the right time, and he combines them all and brings them together to to put them into concert together, to to bring about a harmonious plan. We look at someone like like Job. Job was a spectacle of misery. But God used him to become a patron saint of who knows how many believers who look to him that they might persevere in faith just like him. In Acts 8, we read of how the church is dispersed because of persecution. But this is what made her grow. We read about the Apostle Paul and that Damascus Road, how he was blinded by God, but that was so that he would see the way to heaven. The God who rules all things is more than able to work in them, to work through them for your good. And it's down to the very, very details. Some of you know of Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy that were put in, in concentration camps. And one time they were, they were moved to Ravensbrook and there was a, a bad situation, but uh, uh, Betsy felt it was very important that they, they pray according to 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in all circumstances. And for Corey, this was asking a little bit too much. And so Betsy began to thank God for all these little things. And she said, and God, we thank you for the fleas. And Corey said, I'm out. <laughs> I don't get it why we thank God for the fleas. I said, Corey, don't you understand if it were not for the fleas, we couldn't have our Bible study in the barracks. That's why the guards don't come into the barracks. We couldn't pray together and have prayer meeting if it were not for the fleas. All these details, sometimes it's just a, a pile of towels. These things that God uses, 
for our good. So sometimes it's in the small things. But sometimes it's in the big things. As we think of the plan of salvation, here's where we see particularly that what others meant for harm, God used for good. As we think of the suffering and the death of our Savior, it's surrounded by demonic evil, treachery. But God used it for a greater good. Just like Joseph, Jesus is sold for 30 pieces of silver, but that's just simply the earnest of Christ becoming a ransom to pay for the debt of our sin. Jesus is betrayed and forsaken by his brothers as well, but that's in order that he might redeem us and make us all children of God. Some would look at the cross and say, the cross is a tragedy. This is the death of an innocent man who is in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is a tragedy. That's not what God says. Cross is a triumph. The salvation of sinners, the disarming of spiritual rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame. This is the magnificence of God. The cross is not foolishness or the weakness of a thwarted God. This is the wisdom and the power of a God that succeeds even through the symbol of death. On the one level, people could look at the cross and say, well, that's where everything went wrong. The condemning of an innocent man, this is totally unjust. On another level, everything went just right, according to plan, and to Christ, who was sovereignly in control of the cross, so that God could be both just and the justifier. The death of Christ, you could say, well, this is because Judas Iscariot betrayed him. The religious leaders schemed against him. The angry mob, the cowardice of Pilate, the political Herod, all these people turning against him, soldiers mocking him, disciples abandoning him. That's why Christ died upon the cross. It would say what God God does is he gathered together all these things into one harmonious plan to accomplish exactly what he was directing, exactly what he had ordained. Acts 2 tells us Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Acts 4, Herod, Pilate, Gentiles, and the people of Israel conspired against Jesus, whom God anointed, to do what God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. Men and Satan meant the cross for harm. God meant it for good. Jesus did not go to the cross merely because of Pilate or or Gentiles or Jewish brothers. It is not men that sent Jesus to the cross as much as it was God who sent him to the cross for us. 1 John 4 proclaims the love of God, this God who would send his only son into this world, who would, would send his son to be a propitiation for our sins. But even more than that, more than even the father offering up his son, what we read in scripture is Christ offering up himself, that he gave himself, that he sacrificed himself for us. And this was according to his will and to his design from all eternity. That's the amazing thing of the gospel. And this same God who is sovereign in all of this salvation, who is sovereign in all things, is sovereign in all of your days and will bring about good through all of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight 
your paths. Those, seem, those things that seem so twisted or those detours or those wrong ends, he makes into straight paths. So there are many things, brothers and sisters, who are, many things are going to come your way that the world and Satan will intend for evil. But God will take each and every one of them and he will consecrate them for your good. We serve a God who does not make mistakes. He does everything perfectly right. Whether that's in the plan of salvation or in his sweet, good, and wise providence in your life, it's all good. It's all good. Let us trust him for that. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we have such weak faith. And we are so slow to confess your sovereignty in its goodness, in its wisdom. We look around us and we are so quick to complain and to doubt. So we pray that you would continue to teach us to forbear with us, strengthen our faith, Help us to keep our eyes upon Christ and to know that our exalted prophet, priest, and king is more than sufficient, not just to reveal the way of salvation, not just to open the way of salvation, but to keep us safe along the way of salvation that leads to you. Help us in all these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.